Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club episode for uh, June 2019. How are you guys doing? Um, I, I read that, I don't know why. Um, hey, if you're new here, uh, the Horror and Lit Club is just something that I do to get a little bit closer to my audience. If you're new, welcome. If you've been here before, hey, how are you doing? Um, if you're not familiar, this doesn't really have much to do with the regular West Side Fairy Tales episodes. It's not 
there's no fiction in here uh, except for mistakes that I make. Um, and it's uh, it's generally just a way for for me to get to know everybody and to talk a little bit about the month's recommendations and um, some other stuff that I've got kind of going on right now. Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, and, and things will change a little bit, uh, as, as, as these come out, but, um, in general, it's a, a really informal way for me to just talk to people. And I think I've said it three times in a row now, but get to know you a little bit better. Let, let you guys get to know me. Um, so let, let's just kind of like hop into it. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about what I've been, uh, reading and watching lately. Cause there's been a lot of good stuff, um, a friend of mine actually hipped me to a sci-fi book from one of my favorite authors that I've been meaning to read for a while, and he kind of sold me on it, and I'm just, I'm, I'm 100% into it. It's uh, the Hyperion, 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 I think, Cantos by uh, Dan Simmons, who's actually my, my favorite horror author. Um, might, be, might be a little crazy for, for people to think that it's not Stephen King. I know Stephen King is apparently every person on Earth's favorite horror author, but not me. I'm a I'm a hipster man. I'm 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 into those I'm into those those low key indie authors. Not really. Uh, Dan Simmons Dan Simmons has actually been in the game almost as long as uh, almost as long as Stephen King and the Hyperion books came out. I think in like the 1980s, like the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. So I think the one I'm I'm reading right now came out in like '96, um, and they were like a complete departure from what I was used to with him. Uh, the first book I ever read from Dan Simmons was Summer of Night, which is pretty much my favorite horror novel ever. It's like uh, a slightly more coherent version of It. <laughs> um, not that it's bad; it is just like sixteen thousand pages or something like that 1600 pages i remember it it took me like three months to read it when i was in school and that's when i was just reading non-stop just constantly going after it i say it's a it's a it's a good book uh the now or the second part i think the second part of the movie series is coming out i think this uh, halloween season so I'm, i'm pretty excited about that before we hop into everything else, let me just remind you guys that if you want to talk more to me or to other people about the stuff that I'm going to be talking about today, you can go to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club page on Facebook and join the group there and join in the discussion. We talk about my podcast and uh, a bunch of other stuff, and it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting group. There's a lot of cool people there, um, and it's not like most groups on on, on Facebook that revolve around podcasts, it seems, these days, where uh, it sort of just devolves into people requesting episodes. <laughs> I, feel, I feel bad for a bunch, of my, uh, a bunch of my friends that are in the true crime game, uh, and they have, they, they're in true crime groups, and um, those, always, those always just, they fall right off the cliff like five seconds after they start, and it just turns into people, uh, a lot of people just requesting requesting stories and uh, complaining that certain stories aren't being covered the right way. Thankfully, the West Side Fairy Tales Horror Lit Club's not like that. We're we're cool and very small. So uh, if you if you really like reading, if you like scary stuff, spooky things, creepy pictures, uh, hop on in and and check it out. Uh, a thing I've watched recently that I like. Well, actually, let me talk more about Hyperion. Hyperion is great. I mean, it, it's definitely going to be popping up uh, probably next season as one of my recommended books. It's just, 
it's just amazing. Like I never, it, it's really like an elevation of sci-fi. Uh, I grew up in sci-fi and fantasy as basically being my favorite books because I'm, I, I grew up, you know, a rough and tumble young lad. And, uh, and adventure stories are kind of like what you cut your teeth on if you start reading as a boy. Maybe if you start reading as a girl, you do too, but I don't know. I was never a girl when I was growing up, so don't really, don't really know. <laughs> uh, probably, probably Harry Potter. <laughs> Most everybody, I think everybody nowadays just reads Harry Potter starting off, and that's, that's what they do. That, that's like the first book everybody gets now. I'm surprised they don't just teach it in schools at this point because it it's a great it's a great entry drug so to say, but um, Hyperion is just amazing, man. Uh, it's scary. First off, uh, the the first so it it's told it's it's very similar to the Canterbury Tales. I think there's even a nod to it. Um, if you haven't read the Canterbury Tales, uh, because you're lucky, it's a five or six something like that five or six hundred year old book it's one of the very first ones um written i can't remember the name of the dude but he's in a knight's tale um he's a side character uh and it's basically like the first kind of like adventure novel written in english as far as i know and it's all a series of tales told by pilgrims to each other as they're traveling i think to or from canterbury um, I, I cannot really remember almost anything about it. It has been so long since I read that, but I remember like, I remember the structure, like the bones of it. And it's, it's, it's similar. And, uh, Hyperion follows that same thing. And the first of the stories, which I won't, I won't spoil anything for you guys. Uh, cause you should just really go and read the book. But the first of the stories told by one of the pilgrims is literally one of my favorite short horror stories I've ever read self-contained inside an amazing book in its own right. And it's really got everything, man. It's, it's spooky. It's got really, really cool futuristic stuff. Um, and they just kick you right in the teeth with jargon from the first like sentence. You're, it's just, Hey, you're in the future and the future is fucking weird. Welcome Hyperion. Um, and it has one of my favorite bad guys. Well, I don't even know if you can really call him a bad guy. One of my favorite, like forces of death type things in a book ever. And it's called the Shrike. And that's not even a, not even a spoiler because it's on the goddamn cover of every book. So you won't even, you'll be like, what is this spiky thing? That's the Shrike. Everything revolves around the Shrike. He's, he's a, a six, eight, no three meters so like nine foot tall four-armed metal organic machine with red eyes that pokes people because he's covered in body his whole body is covered in thorns and he's named after a bird a real life bird called a shrike who if you don't know it's one of like those uh you are now initiated into the horror world when you finally start seeing things that are referred to by as shrikes or or shrike imagery the real life bird is a uh, carrion eating. I think yeah, it eats carrion, but it kills the carrion it eats. So it like goes and like kills like a mouse, right? Or even just grabs it and then it puts it on these shrike bushes, which are long, long thorned bushes that it impales its quarry onto because its beak, I think, isn't adapted to eating uh, live 
warm flesh, so it puts it on the spike and then lets it die there, or it's already dead, and it lets it rot there until um, it's able to, it, it's, a, it's a little putrefied and more easy to eat. Which, the first time I heard about a shrike, a shrike bird, uh, I did not believe it, and I had to look it up. The kicker to this is they're adorable. <laughs> the real shrike is is like the cutest like little finch of a bird and it's just it's insanely insanely monstrous. It's one of those damn nature you crazy kind of things. But uh but I like it and man Hyperion I I really I cannot recommend that book enough especially if you're there's four of them in the series I'm on the third one uh and it's been the only thing I have been reading for like the past two months I have so many other books I'm supposed to read and I'm literally trying to force myself to finish Hyperion I'm not even really forcing myself um I just I enjoy the shit out of them I think I'm actually going to finish book three probably tomorrow oh no I just I just started it oh the second book's due tomorrow but I already turned it in um because I'm I'm renting off of Libby. If you guys don't know what Libby is, this isn't an ad because it can't really be. Uh, Libby is a free library app for your phone, and you can like download books if you have a library card that your your library is like in partnership with. So you like basically borrow books on your library's behalf from like Audible, not Audible. What's Amazon's Kindle? The Kindle. Uh. You, you borrow them from Kindle and it's uh it's a really cool program, especially if you want to take like a little book with you or if you got to read something short, uh, the, the rental times are like two weeks. You can only rent five things at a time. But if you're strapped and you've got a smartphone, like I am and have been for most of my life, uh, you should definitely check it out. And I, I didn't think so like uh Hyperion, the second Hyperion book, I, I borrowed the first one physically from my library and the second one, I borrowed on Libby. Um, it's the first book I ever read on my phone. I did not think it would be as enjoyable as it was. Cause I've always been one of those guys that was like, I was a hardliner. Like I won't get a Kindle. And like, I was saying like, I won't get a Kindle. Like I'm too good for it. But literally I cannot shell out like the $150 to buy one. Uh, but I, I know I, I read it on my, my phone and you can actually change it. So it, when I first started, it was as awful as I thought it would be. Because it was a white background with black text, which I understand is eminently readable. The contrast is perfect, but I fucking, I, I hate it. I hate Word on Apple right now because you can't do inverted text. Or if you can, I can't figure out how the hell to do it without it like wigging out all of the text that I write. But I hate reading plain white background and black text it's awful but you can change it in the app so that it's like that nice off beige like actual page color you know what i mean that that the most normal book pages are and it's very soothing on the eyes and it's not like terribly bright uh and it saves your page perfectly um i i read i read in like six seven eight hour stretches sometimes and so I'm always flipping around onto my stomach, onto my back, sit up, I read on my side. And when you're holding a book, uh, inevitably I drop the whole book on my face and I lose my page and I have to flip back to it. 
That's why it's better when I get old books that are already beaten up because they tend to hold their pages better and new books don't because they, you know, they got that perfect spine. And I'm always, I like, I hate people that whine about creasing the spine on a book. I don't know. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> like, did you never go to a library when you were a kid? Like, oh, he creased the spine on the book. Like, if he's bending like a cheap, like, uh, not even the trade paperback. What, what's the worst one called? The mass market paperback. Like, if you're bending that in half, like, and ripping it, fair. But I mean, dude, all books, all books die, especially like trash trade paperbacks and uh, and mass market paperbacks. Mass markets are the are like the the four and a half by three inch, and the trade paperbacks are like I think five by seven inch. Uh, hardcovers you can pretty much flip open like that um, because they're they're hardcover books. They're meant to last forever. Uh, most of those books that you see disintegrating like that aren't actually disintegrating because the spine's failing. It's because they're put they're printed on acid paper, which I I found out is a thing. Um, and it's basically planned obsolescence baked into the creation of the paper itself. So if you've ever seen a book that yellows crazy fast like it's 20 years old and it's like it's got that like it almost like somebody dipped it in like yellow dye on the sides if it hasn't been opened in a while and it's all yellow around the sides like that that's acid paper it's paper with acid in it i don't know how it works or whatever but basically those books just decay on purpose like there is no like apparently they used to convince people that acid paper back in like the 70s 60s and 70s that it's cheaper but it's not it literally costs us it's fucking paper but the acid paper disintegrates and so once it starts disintegrating and getting more brittle it will break off at the spine the spine's fine the glue is glue is fucking glue like it's gonna be fine uh but the acid paper gets brittle and starchy like if, you, if you've ever opened a book where the, the paper doesn't feel too good to turn. Like you almost have to grab the edge of the paper and like push it to the next page instead of like, you know, just thumbing through it. That's usually acid paper. And it's just, it wants to die. And like bending the spine will probably hurry that along, but it won't do too much to it. I have books in my house that, cause I just like to collect ancient looking books, even if I'm not going to read them just because they look cool. And like, I respect that it is a, it's existed since like 1850. Uh, those are printed on non-acid paper and hardback binding with the good flexible back binding and the, the binding cover. And dude, you can, you can hold those all the way open and like leave a, a 70 pound weight, like right on the crease and it'll close and open again the next time. And the paper's just still perfectly white. So anyway, I have never really cared that much about bending the spine of a book because I, I did not, I could not afford books when I was a kid. I got them all from the library and they're all bent. <laughs> like, like if you get a library book and the thing, and you can actually press the spine to like the table and the, and the whole spine runs flush with the table and isn't curved up in a, like a perfect half of a McDonald's arch then you are the first person to get that book and congratulations. You, you won, you won. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't deface books and stuff, but I, I know people that like, don't even open it past like 45 degrees, which is insane to me or like 90 degrees, just holding it like that. But anyway, um, if you get it, if you get like, if you use your phone and stuff to read, uh, 
you don't have to you don't have to worry about that. The bad thing is, is if I start reading on my phone, it's as bad as when I start reading normally and I can bring my phone everywhere. So occasionally I get caught in a bathroom for like 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, you know, I should finish this chapter. (laughs) It's it's much more drawing than Twitter. But I digress. Anyway, that's how I've been reading the Hyperion Cantos, and I'm I'm kind of addicted to it. I'm still going to, like, the next book I'm actually going to read after I finish uh, the third book in Hyperion, which is Endymion. And, oh, man, it's a hard, I can spell it, E-N-D-Y-M-I-O-N. I I think it's Endymion. Uh, And then Endymion Rising. Those are the last two books. I'm, like, 25%. Yeah, actually, I'm probably, like, 15%, I think into uh into endymion which by the way is a, a, another feature i didn't think i never even thought would exist but i like i always like to mark my progress like i always flip through to the back of a book while i'm reading it and just see how many pages i have left because my brain desires for me to to do that it's like i, I always feel like i hope someone doesn't see me doing this because i don't want to look impatient but i really just like to know how much left of a book i have the same way, I'll, I'll pause movies, even if I'm like really enjoying them, just so I can see how much of it's left. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I do these things, but I do. And uh, it shows you your percentage at the bottom of it. So th- this, this overly long advertisement for the, <laughs> for, the, for the goddamn Libby app is, uh, is pretty much over. I guess it's also an advertisement for Kindle that they did not pay for. So they got that for free, which makes me the fool. But anyway, um, yeah, Hyperion, you guys should check it out. On that note, the other thing that I've been, uh, I was watching recently and I finished uh, Chernobyl. And I've wanted to talk about Chernobyl for forever, man. If you don't know about it, um, well, first off, it's not even a spoiler. Chernobyl exploded. <laughs> like, I think the year before I was born, I was born in 1987. Uh, I can't remember the exact time, the exact timeline of events. Uh, from the show, but I think it was 1980, it was either 86 or 84, Chernobyl, Chernobyl exploded. Chernobyl was a, a nuclear power plant in the Soviet Union. It's actually uh, in Pripyat, Ukraine now. Uh, it was former Soviet Union. Um, and basically, a lot, of, a lot of heavy-handed mismanagement caused the plant to, 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 to explode. It was a combination of human error, mechanical error, and uh, just, you know, bureaucracy and stuff. Um, but but it's just, a, it's such a good show. And I actually feel like it almost, the first episode is actually almost a horror. Like a little, like a, a self-contained horror movie. Uh, it, it's so unsettling and like otherworldly. Because... Um, I can't even it it's not even really a spoiler because it's a, a a a show based on a real event that happened already but basically um without getting too too much into it the the whole area is radioactive as hell and people don't know so you're just like oh like oh god the whole time just like cringing uh very much it it's it's the actual real life, the well done version of the why are you going in the house? Don't go in that room. But instead, it's like, oh, don't go in the reactor chamber. Oh my God, you can see outside. Oh no, that's the stuff they're not supposed to touch the whole time. And it's, it's so engrossing. Um, 
in each each episode, there's only I think five. It's it's either five or six. Um, and each episode has its own kind of feel as they as they transition from like the the horrifying first moments of it to. Uh, the final episode, which is the the kind of the 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 look back, you know what I mean. So there's there's a little bit for everything. There's like horror in the first episode, uh, in the second episode. There's like the, like the human element and stuff. Uh, I, I might be mixing it, and eventually it turns into almost like a detective story. And it's it, it's it's just wonderful. And you should check it out if you have an HBO subscription. And if you don't, um. And you live in Britain, I think you can just see it for free. I'm pretty sure it aired on like Sky One or something. I, for for my friends over there across the pond, I don't know how I don't know how the fuck your television situation works. Um, I know that you guys get in trouble for trying to be cut cord cutters like we are in America. <laughs> it's insane. Um, if, if you guys don't know, any Americans don't know uh, the British. I, I think I, I'm just going to be stepping all over my own toes here, but they have like. BBC stuff, and I think they can also get American stuff, and they can get Netflix, uh, obviously. But like, it's all region locks because Europe reasons, and like, there's region locking. Which, if you've never traveled outside of America, you're like, what the fuck is that? And like, oh, it's a nightmare. There's PAL and NTSC, and it just like your devices just won't play stuff, and you just can't get access to shit, even though it's like 2019. And you have the internet, so people just steal shit all the time. But um, in in Britain they have like the BBC, which is the British Broadcasting Company, and there's like four or five whatever BBCs, and then there's like Sky one through four two, and like the BBC stuff is. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, like more family-oriented, I think. We're not like family-oriented, but like PG-13 and lower. Um, and like the sky stuff is like PG-13 and up. So that's where you get like Torchwood. And uh, Chernobyl, for instance, and on the other side of that, like in the BBC, you get like Doctor Who and I don't know, EastEnders. Help me out, Britain. (laughs) If you want to tell me how dumb I am and how little I know about the British Broadcasting Corporation, head on over to Facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club and tell me I'm a moron today. Okay, so folks, um, on to the actual horror and lit club stuff. So, this you guys hear me flipping my notes. This uh, this month's horror recommendation um, is the movie Magic, starring Anthony Hopkins. It was made in 1978, directed by Richard Attenborough, book and screenplay by William Goldman. This is by far. One of the most sleeper hit horror movies I've ever <laughs> I've, I've ever seen. Uh, Magic is an incredibly good film, and I didn't think it would be. So I, I found this on Shudder. If you guys don't know about Shudder, um, it's a it's a horror only like Netflix type thing, um, and it's part of like the Verve VRV networks and stuff on. Um, well, it's an internet streaming thing. I don't really know how to explain it better, but Shudder is all horror stuff. I, like, I really feel like I should try to hunt them down and get them to sponsor my podcast because I would say nothing but good things about Shudder. Shudder is the best, dude. Um, it's, just, it's just horror movies, good or bad, American or not, all kinds of stuff. Uh, literally just anything that's like that people have forgotten. And so... Uh, it, it's actually like a, a clearinghouse for unbelievably good movies because, you know, people, people don't know anything about the horror genre and they only ever want to just see like the most recently stuff, recent stuff, unless you're like a real fan. So there hasn't been much of a market, I guess people thought outside of like, you know, the horror and sci-fi section on like HBO or uh, the horror sections on Netflix and Shutter just basically like gathered everything else that other people had forgotten about and their selection is so fucking good. They have like The Wailing on there, which is a Korean film. Uh, people that follow the podcast know that I recommended that. Uh, I recommended people go see that. I think back in January before the uh, the airing of the Toda Americana series. That's a Korean horror film. It's amazing. Uh, and it's also the place where I saw I saw Magic, starring Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Um, <laughs> and we found it. I'm just scrolling down, just trying to find something to watch on a Saturday night with my fiance. And and there's Anthony fucking Hopkins, who, if you don't know, is Hannibal Lecter 
from the uh, Silence of the Lambs and, and the other Hannibal movies. And he's holding a puppet, a creepy looking puppet. And we're like, this has to be trash. I'm going to watch the fuck out of it. And I was wrong. It was so good. If you've never, if you haven't seen it yet, please go see it. Uh, I'm going to get lightly, heavily, massively into spoilers here. So just turn this off, go watch it, come back to it. Or, uh, or just hit fast forward until you hear me stop, stop laughing about it. Um, and, and then you'll, you'll start hearing the, uh, uh, the discussion of, of Heart of Darkness, which is a little further down the road. But, man, magic starring Anthony Hopkins. I can't stop saying it because it's so wild to me. It's a movie about a, a, a guy and his puppet, and the puppet's evil. But it's not terrible, which is insane. If you've, if you've spent any amount of time in the horror world, the, the haunted, spooky puppet is so, it's so trite and overdone that, like, literally, it, you can't even make, like, a joke movie about it. Because it's so not serious. You cannot make like puppet movies. I think the last one I've I've seen where where a company legitimately tried to make a good movie with puppets that was a horror movie. Well, I mean, what what else would it be? I mean, I guess technically a movie with puppets would be like, you know, the Muppet movie. But no, uh, it was Dead Silence, which is. Yet again, another forgotten movie from uh, I think that's what's his name? Juan, Joe Juan. I cannot remember the life for the life of me, uh, but he's the guy that made uh, Saw, and then James Wan. I, I'm I'm eighty percent sure it's James Wan, but uh, he made Saw, and then he made um, he basically founded the the studio. I think, or at least the studio. No, Bloomhouse. There we go. Bloomhouse Productions was like starting up with these movies, and Bloomhouse is the one that makes like all the Conjuring and Annabelle stuff uh, nowadays. Um, but and it's it was like basically like a return to small studio horror, which hadn't like existed in forever, and that came out in like see, I saw it when I was in the Marines, so probably like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, maybe a little bit later or a little bit earlier. Uh, I never paid for it. I bought it on bootleg in Iraq, which I forgive myself because I was in Iraq and you can't buy real DVDs there. I got it. I got it from the bootleg DVD man, which any veteran, any veteran of the Iraq war will tell you, yeah, that's legit. <laughs> which one? Uh, the third stall on the left in Ramadi in the, in the, in the weird little stall section out there past where that cheap ass pizza hut was no so that would have been my third deployment which would have been like 2009 i guess it might have came out well it would have come out before that probably but anyway 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 um that movie was still corny as shit <laughs> and uh magic is amazing uh if, if you if you've never heard of it because I, I know you haven't uh anthony hopkins plays a guy named corky who is a failed magician uh the movie sort of starts off with him doing sleight of hand tricks and by the way uh anthony hopkins taught himself how to do basic sleight of hand for this movie so there's no like bad cgi or like uh like in labyrinth if you guys ever remember labyrinth where david bowie is like it looks like he's messing with the little ball things and doing like hand tricks but you can tell it's some guy with his hands up 
underneath David Bowie's arms, like doing the tricks from behind him. It's actually uh, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins just practiced magic and got really fucking good at it. So he's just doing all of these like show and show and he's doing his practice and you can tell he's a very talented person. But uh, he goes on stage, you know, somewhere it's just some New York dive bar type deal where there's a little, you know, little rows of of circular tables with like two or three cheap seats at him and a spotlight on him and the red curtain of it's, it's, it's wonderful. And he fails miserably. No one likes it. And though it sort of, sort of cuts it. He's like, Oh, I got my head in my hands. And then we just get right to it. Like they do not fuck around with uh, bullshit in this movie. It's, it's amazing. Like any other cheaper movie would have had him like freaking out and like, you know, his like, Wonder, oh, will I ever make it? Blah, 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 blah. And trying to up. No, he just, it. that scene ends and the next scene, he's got a fucking puppet. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. It's like, we were watching it and having a couple beers and we're just, is this fucking, did this just happen? Am I having a fucking fever dream or is Anthony Hopkins just suddenly have a puppet now? And the, and the, the crowd is much bigger and it's the puppet's name is Fats, and it is literally like the stereotypical, like, hey, blockhead, you're a fucking idiot. And he's like foul mouthed and a little, a little, uh, a little crass. You know, he's offending the ladies in the audience, but everyone's having a kick out of it, kind of deal. Um, and, and that's really where the start of the plot kind of comes from. Uh, Anthony Hopkins gets discovered by an agent who gets him. Books him some gigs on television. Uh, you can kind of tell that Anthony Hopkins' character, Corky, isn't isn't very self-confident. He's a very, a very quiet, very standoffish type person, but he's you know happy, like, oh yeah, thank you. Kind of. Um, and you get a feeling like he's not, he's maybe not all there. And he always has the puppet out. The puppet is always with him. So, you know. Uh and, and Immediately, because it's I watched this in 2018. I'm like, is it all right? Possessed puppet, dead, dead wife in the puppet, dead best friend, former partner. What is it? Is it possessed puppet? And um, spoilers. No, (laughs) he's just insane. It's the best. He's just a crazy person. Um. And you don't know if that's the case or not throughout the whole thing. He's just mad good at it. He's pra- by the way, Anthony Hopkins practiced throwing his voice and everything for the role. So he does he does ventriloquism. And he doesn't have to, but he does, and it makes it so much more intense. It's it's <laughs> it's fucking incredible. But uh so they send this guy to a fucking it's like, "Hey, we're going to give you your own show." But the network wants some. The network wants some assurances. We got to make sure that you're healthy for it. So you got to do a, uh, um, like an insurance physical, which includes a psychiatric evaluation. And Corky's like, "Oh, that's not good." <laughs> so he fucking bails, uh, and he runs away to the Catskills because he's afraid that they're gonna find out he's a fucking psycho uh, and get rid of him. So he's got like a, a bit of awareness that his relationship with the puppet's not healthy. There's no, there's never a moment. Where you're, where he's like, I'm perfectly fine. Like everything's under control. He's, he looks like just on the vert. He's like a guy with a loaded gun to his head at the whole time. And it's Anthony Hopkins, so he plays it perfect. He's such a good actor. 
And people don't really know that because he's in so few like movies for real. Because once he did, once Anthony Hopkins did uh, Silence of the Lambs, that was pretty much that was that was fucking it for him. And he couldn't do anything else. It's one of those like the curse of success where he did so good in that role. You can't see him as like anything else. And so he kind of just fell off the, the face of the earth. He did a bunch of good stuff. I won't get too into it, but uh, Anthony Hopkins is a stellar actor and he really worked his ass off for this one. And it shows um, while he's in the Catskills, he actually looks up one of his old, uh, I think it's an old girlfriend, an old flame of some sort. Um, this is a very small cast in this movie too, by the way, I think it's like four maybe five people even have like speaking lines maybe seven like i'm forgetting like there's a taxi guy and he's like that extra has like some of the most most of the lines for someone that's not in the main cast in this uh in this film but um then people start dying up in the mountains uh the agent comes up and uh he's he he pushes anthony hopkins character too far he's like can you can you talk without the puppet just let him put him down for like five seconds just put him down for five seconds and anthony hopkins is Gah! and he runs over to the puppet picks up like hey yeah what am i just starts like rattling off jokes and the agent's like ah fuck but the best part is is he doesn't there are no like every archetypal character in this movie is not an archetypal character they all react in like real honest to God human ways and not like, you know, oh, that's what I would do in this situation. But it's like, oh, that's what a high powered Hollywood agent would do in this situation, which is all right. OK, he's crazy, but he's worth a lot of money. So we're going to figure this out. I'm going to make this happen. And I guess he doesn't really, you know, think that that's the case. Uh, and so he gets he gets hit in the head with a piece of wood. But anyway. <laughs> it continues on and oh man I, I won't go too far into the end of it but the, i will say the entire time i was waiting for that fucking puppet to be like to stand it's the moment it's the moment where every puppet movie or show you go back to goosebumps anything <laughs> i honestly i always go back to stevel if you guys have ever seen family matters from back in the day <laughs> If you ever, it's the show with, with Steve Urkel on it, Stefan Urkel, but, uh, there's an episode, there's a Halloween episode where he, he has a puppet that looks like him and it's steve It gets possessed by an evil spirit and kills the whole family. Uh, but they're all fine again at the end. Cause it was just a dream. I can't even give you a spoiler warning on that, man. If you, if you haven't seen that episode of family matters, you just never will. But the entire thing I think is on Facebook or not Facebook. Well, probably is on Facebook, but on YouTube. But the whole movie, you're waiting for that moment where it's uh, the puppet stands up and starts doing shit on its own because that happens in everything. It's always, you know, there's it's sitting here. Oh, it's moved. Oh, it's moved. Oh, it's kind of talking, whatever. But then there's the part where it has to stand up and do something. And that's always that's always the part. It's supposed to be scary and it doesn't work because inevitably it's like a, a, a little person or uh, a child in like a tiny puppet costume bumbling around, you know, with like a full head, full wooden head fucking mask on and stuff. And it just looks goofy because it goes from being that, you know, like 
kind of limp, uh, dead body kind of creepiness where it's like, uh, to, oh God, <laughs> and, and it ruins it. And that never happens in magic. Uh, but it never stops being creepy. And it, it's, it's such a good movie. I cannot recommend it enough. If you have shutter, uh, it's on there. I'm sh- I'm pretty sure still uh, you can look it up. It, it's probably a bunch of different places. The movie's old as hell, so it shouldn't be expensive wherever you find it. Uh, and I, I really, I cannot recommend it enough. Go check it out. Have a couple beers before you watch it. It is, it is a blast. It is so much fun. <laughs> Go check it out. Uh, my next, my next thing, the month's literary uh recommendation for june is heart of darkness by joseph conrad which on a on a flip note is not a good time at all (laughs) it's it is literally one of the bleakest most depressing uh short stories written in the english language i think um it was written in 1899 and serialized i believe over the next uh over two months in 1901, I think it is, in a Blackwoods magazine. Um, if you guys don't know what serials are, lucky you. Uh, my podcast, my, my recent four-episode thing, is what you would consider a serial, which uh, is when a long-form story is released piecemeal. You, you, you kind of get the feeling like, you know, from, uh, from TV shows, uh, ongoing plot TV shows are are, are serials, um, but when you say serial like this, it really re- refers to old magazine serials, which really don't exist anymore. Uh, I mean, they do, but f- for people that are probably in their like mid sixties to mid eighties, uh, mo- no one my age knows what serials are half the time, much less reads them. Um, but once upon a time, that was literally the way that books were released. You actually did not put out novels raw. It just didn't happen. Uh, we're talking about like the, you know, the, the mid to late 1800s and actually much, 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 much before that. Uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, for instance, was released in serial throughout France, um, as was pretty much every book by uh, the late, great Charles Dickens and his contemporary Wilkie Collins, which I will be, whom I will be discussing at length whenever I, I get to talking about Drood, um, which is also where I, I, I learned all of this information. Um, but but what a serial is, is they had old literary magazines. I know you guys have heard of literary magazines if you're listening to this podcast, probably. Um, and the stories would be released in, in almost a short of short story kind of feel, chapter by chapter, every month. And so while you were doing that, it was actually a great way to test the waters um, over whether or not a book would work. So, you know, you, you get three chapters into a serial, you you sell the serial chapter by chapter, right? Or, or like if you're, if you're famous, like Charles Dickens was, we'll we'll use him as an example. He'd say, well, he actually owned his own literary magazine, so he didn't have to say shit. He just started publishing it. But before that, it would be like, Hey, I have this story. I'm famous run out one chapter a month or I'm not very famous. Can you, can you, can you take a chance on me and do some test chapters? And they'd be like, all right, all right, all right. And you would have, um, a chapter released every month alongside four or five chapters of other books. So it was a really at the time, 
great way to uh, to do literature because you had one story that everybody was reading. So everybody's going to read the Charles Dickens story. You have a second story. We'll say Wilkie Collins, who wrote um, The Moonstone, a very famous detective novel, one of the first, as I recall. Um, and then that was a good one, too. So, okay, so these are my two anchor stories. And then on top of that, you could put in three stories from fairly unknown authors. Um, and then those are all staggered, too. So they're not running at the same time. So it kind of keeps you on. It, it, it's basically the original HBO Now subscription. And as long as you have your subscription to that and they keep rolling out new stuff and good one shots and good long parters, then you're going to keep going. And so if a book is successful in that sort of run and people can't afford the literary magazine, because the literary magazine is going to be something in the odd, you know, $100 a year. Everybody can't afford that, but they can afford the $2 run out of the book. And so you would say, oh, well, you know what? It, it, that story nailed in Harper's, man. We, we were selling them off the rack. We're definitely going to run a novel out for this. Or no, you, your third chapter of this basically almost sunk into a literary magazine. We're, not, we're never going to give this to you. Um, and so that was a, a pretty, cool, pretty cool method of business. And I, I think it's eminently fascinating how that worked and that it worked at all. Um, and I, I, I launched into that very long, uh, description just to tell you that the entirety of Heart, Heart of Darkness was serialized over two publications in Blackwood's magazine, which I don't know almost anything about. I feel like maybe I should have looked some stuff up about it, but I didn't just assume that it was a, uh, a literary magazine. Um, and it was probably in England. Uh, Joseph Conrad himself is a Polish, uh, English immigrant. So he emigrated to England from Poland. Um, in the mid 1800s, uh, and he was a very unwell man. He was a very sick man, um, and he had trouble writing actually because of uh, his illness. And he, some sort of one of those things that I think they've they've all but cured or prevented eternally now. But at the time in the 1800s, was just tearing people apart in the streets, like polio and stuff. He didn't have polio. He wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have been right shit. He'd have been dead. But um, when he wasn't writing or actually before he really started writing he worked on tramp steamers um which are just busted ass steamboats that move stuff around right and uh they're 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 what you would consider like a sort of semi-long voyage river boat so you know it you do like month two month six month excursions up and down a river carrying large amounts of stuff one way along with small stuff and then coming back the other way which is a great way a great framing device for any sort of story because when you're doing deliveries like that, um, you have a lot of a lot of occasion to stop on the side of the riverbank. You run into all kinds of different people. You 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 take on passengers. You take on cargo. All of those things have stories, and they come, they go, and they leave. And so Joseph Conrad, having some degree of foresight, took notes about his time traveling up through uh, the Congo. Um. While working for uh, ivory traders and whatnot in the the early part of the 1900s, and this is uh, before people understood the the extent of how badly we were kind of just destroying. Well, not we. I wasn't part of that shit, but in general, Europeans were destroying Africa. And just it, literally that period of time is referred to as the rape of Africa. And I think it went on for like 
fucking six fucking hundred years or some shit. Um, and basically just despoiled Africa of all of its culture, most of its resources, and a lot of its people, and left it in the, the, the shambles that it remains in to much of this day. It's very difficult to recover from. Um, and it's created a lot of lingering sociopolitical, uh, I don't, I don't even know connections, but like it's, it's basically the nails in its own coffin and it's still trying to rise from its grave at any given time. It's a very, very complicated and hideous, hideous period of time. But at, in the early 1900s, people just didn't know. It was first off, people didn't care that much because, I mean, if you think about the early 1900s just in Europe, they had their own shit going on, which would eventually cause all of the world wars that have happened to this day. Um, in addition to just horrific amounts of, of sickness and poverty and disease. Uh, it, so, you know, humanity was in short supply, I guess, is, is what I'm saying at the time. And so people people could barely get out of their house, much less learn stuff about things that are happening halfway across the world because, you know, they didn't even have if someone didn't write about it, then how the fuck would they ever know about it? Like, they, you know, you live on your block and you have your butcher, your baker, your candlestick maker. And outside of that very small world, you don't really care much because, you know, people are dying of fucking polio and tuberculosis and diphtheria and typhus people are literally like falling down onto the ground in front of you while you're walking and hacking up handfuls and handfuls of blood and like ruined lung tissue and then just dying because there are no social circumstances to save them and you're you're doing great by the world standards you're doing fucking amazing uh everybody stinks everything's polluted at this time in uh in London, I think this is before whoever it was cleaned everything up. I can't, I cannot remember. The first one, the first big cleanup was actually uh, Dickens' thing, where he 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 wrote about how awful all the slums were and stuff. It's why it's why um, you know all of his stories are really like well known now. The David Copperfield and the like um, is because there that was like the first like. That was like the handmaid's tale of that era, although you wouldn't think it, but people just didn't know how bad the slums were. And like he was the connection between that sort of dire, gross, impoverished existence and and the upper class because he was from there, basically. But he was posh enough to, to roll in the upper circles and got all of them involved in it. And that was the great cleanup. And then there were more as that as that went on that that basically saved london from itself as i recall uh, anybody that wants to correct me on my history feel free i'm i'm not a historian i'm i'm just a guy with a microphone but anyway um so jo- joseph conrad was one of the first people to talk about how bad uh, all of this stuff was and that what i really like about heart of darkness is it lands on everything um there's been there's been some criticism of it but i feel like it's people are really missing the point uh, where Conrad's character Marley describes uh, the Native Africans in very, very stark and disgraceful ways, but I, I, I don't, I did not when I was reading it, and I didn't until I even heard the criticism. Uh, really understand in any way that that wasn't like him being a bad guy. Marley is a very conflicted character. Joseph Conrad is an unbelievably good author. Uh, for 
getting inside someone's head in a way that does not let them lie to you, but lets them lie to themselves, which is very much the human, the human condition. And if you haven't read the story, I highly suggest you do it. It's free everywhere. It's, it's since lapsed into public domain because it's so old and Conrad's been dead for so goddamn long that, um, it's free on like the Gutenberg project and stuff. And it, it won't take you too long. I think it's about 40,000 total words. Novel is generous. I would call it a novella, uh, right there between a short story and a novel. But, um, there's, there's a very good, he's, he, Conrad's judo is excellent is the way I can say it. And that he does not waste motion in the story. It's not a thing that is bogged down by any, any real excesses. Um, and that's something I took from him flat out stole from him and put in my own narrative is do, do the work in a sentence that you would be trying to do in the next couple paragraphs. And that way you can just shrink everything. If Stephen King wrote heart of darkness. It would be fucking 2,500 pages long, but, uh, but Conrad gets a lot of it very compressed and by not giving you everything and by not explaining everything he can much he lingers on feel and form much better than you know outright plotting in in, an exposition there's there's not much the entire story is technically exposition because it is a first person narrative but um but there's not much left for explanation and even when he's explaining stuff the the way that he's explaining things marley that is you're you're getting to the feel of the situation without having to linger too long and and get into like people describing things and saying like oh well i feel i i'm i am a native and i feel like i'm being like displaced and i'm i'm having a bad time instead of doing that you're just like he's like they're having a bad time and i don't care so now you have all of the uh all of the description together, Marley's feelings, what's happening to them and, and everything else. I'm, I'm doing a very heavy handed way of describing this, but basically the entirety of the story is a, a, a 35,000 word spring trap that really it's very tight and compressed and it just blows up once you start looking into it, which is why I'm not going to get too, too into it today because you can just go into it forever and deep dive down into it. And it's something that I would rather do conversationally with people because a lot of what people take away from this, except for some of the bigger things that I'm going to talk about, um, it, 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 it can be a little, not contentious, but people just get different things from it. And it's much more fun to, to discuss it in a conversation way. Uh, that's why we have the Lit Club. But this is kind of my, my feelings on it. Um, one of my favorite lines in it is, the same people who recommended him also recommended you. The plot is that Marley is going upriver to find uh, Mr. Kurtz, who is a representative of, I can't, I can't remember the name of the company, but basically it's a ivory gathering consortium. You would say ivory mining, uh, ivory killing animals and cutting their tusks off. I, I hate the ivory trade. How can you not? Who likes the ivory trade? So literally he's involved in, if it wasn't for like, the fucking slavery triangle sugar trade would be the most evil work ever done in Africa. I guess now blood diamonds, slavery, blood diamonds, ivory trade. I hope, I really hope there's nothing else that's worse than the ivory trade because I fuck <laughs> Jesus Christ. So basically the ivory trade is you go out, 
you fucking murder elephants and rhinoceroses and then you cut their goddamn horns off and you send them back down river because uh english european people in general want to they want to turn that into scrimshaw and fucking uh piano keys and that's pretty much it <laughs> that's it's it's an insanely evil practice and even at the time i mean you could even say it's as evil as the first two because they're they're functionally enslaving or at least exploiting the natives in order to do this work and and giving none of the wealth to them and this is all expressly put into it and it's done in in very stark and direct terms there's no point i i cannot imagine somebody reading this and being like this is so man this guy's really being in in favor of the ivory trade it's very much not the case but uh colonel kurtz is the guy that gets sent ahead uh well he's already been there for a while and he's trying he he basically has become a sort of like living god that he's made himself for for the locals because he's a an insane megalomaniac and he's he's kind of just like bent them to his will kind of deal and he's very well regarded by the um company or so it's said although there's also some hint that Kurtz or Marley is actually going up river to get Kurtz to bring him back to be hanged uh maybe or at least punished to some degree and it's all slightly vague vagaries um but one of the people who talks to Marley as he's heading up river is the same people who recommended him Kurtz for the job also recommended you which is this kind of wonderful quick twisting of the characters together so that you know that Marley is not just the main character who is going up river to find this Kurtz fellow but he's also almost no different from him they are they they are similar in recommendation so Marley's almost going to find what could potentially be a future version of himself and uh you can tell that even Kurtz might not be an inherently evil person but just the work and what he's maybe had to do has just completely eroded the humanity out of him so he is he is just what he is um uh there's a a good device it's an, an elegant letter basically um marley gets Kurtz's papers right and there's you know it's reports elegant elegantly written you know very posh and uh, on, on the 6th of may we gathered blah 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 blah, blah and all, all this wonderful writing toward to the company uh where it's like you know oh, okay so this is like his saying this is him but in the margins uh is a postscript written exterminate all the brutes and in, in just his handwriting so like you have that good dichotomy without even going into it too much of of him his relationship to his job where he's he is supposed to be this this representation of of european progress and 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 the 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 taming of of wild dark africa by um you know these these white savior types who are going to come down and fix everything but really when when he's not bent to the system and and playing at this sort of this upper upper class edifice his heart is just exterminate them all like fuck pure 
there is nothing left. Like he is just that animalistic impulse. Um, and Marley eventually gets back uh, to to civilization. I, I, I'm really boiling down the plot to its most barest consistency, but uh, a lot of other things happen. Kurtz dies on the way back, and he his final words are the very famous "the horror, the horror." <laughs> it's just just of all things to say before you die. He gets sick, by the way, and he dies on the boat going back. And the guy comes out and says, "Mr. Kurtz, he dead," which is like one of the other famous most famous lines in the English language. The point of the T. S. Eliot, I believe, started off the wasteland with it. Something T.S. Eliot adopted it for something. Um, but he gets back. Marley gets back to society, and uh, he doesn't ever give over any of Kurtz's papers and reports and stuff. He's very dissatisfied with uh, English society and like with, with with what is in his mind, you know, society itself. Whereas Africa is an a non-societal wild place, even though obviously that's not really, really the case. It's just something that they created. Um, he's back there and he talks to Kurtz's fiance, um, who asks him what his last words were and like, you know, what, what the, the moments with him were like. And he just lies to her and he says that his last thoughts and words were like of you, his fiance and not the horror, the horror, which, is just fucking great because it's the summary really of the problem in Africa at the time that the the English and well the Europeans in general boiling it down to the English is is very uh really not bringing it the the company in, in question is actually a Belgian company and anyone who knows about Belgium's uh relationship with fucking Africa knows that it's functionally the worst they created um, Rhodesia, I believe, and obviously uh, South Africa and the apartheid states therein. Uh, and, you know, everybody's guilty, whatever. You can't even – it would take years, decades to sort out that fucking that, – that mess that happened down there. And it, it's, it's really not something I want to leave in my hands. But um, that is that, – that's ultimately the lesson – of the entire story is that when it comes to describing the stark horrors and, and the bad things that have happened down there, instead of giving these, you know, this, this is this adorable untainted English society woman who's, who's representative of the innocent society as a whole, instead of giving her the truth, which might lead to, to God knows what maybe change, maybe not, uh, or at least, you know, sharing the stain with her so that everyone can know that it exists. He just lies to her and says, no, it was, it was fine. (laughs) Which is ultimately a kick in the ass to Kurtz too, because, you know, I can't imagine having your last words be stolen from you, especially as a words guy myself. But that's, uh, that's kind of the whole and not really even at all of, of heart of darkness. And this isn't even something I can recommend It, it. It's like, it's a must read to the umpteenth degree. It really is one of the best stories ever written in the English language. And I, it, it would, 
it would take me four hours to just even go over, like literally read the plot through start to finish. There's not a much, if you're trying to get a really deep, a really good visceral understanding of the story, I can't really do that for you uh, in like half an hour reading, uh, talking into a microphone, and it's not like in front of me. It, it, it's a it's a story that like deserves its own classes to be taught on it and stuff, just because it's so well bundled and tied together. It, it's really a, a mastercraft of language itself that he was able to get so much information uh, into such a small thing, which is it, it's high end writing, like literally Cadillac grade writing that any you know toyota driver can understand i don't even know if those make sense nowadays i don't think cadillacs are even do they still make cadillacs i guess they do i think i've seen them old people drive them and toyotas are expensive now a toyota camry will just like kick you right in the shin <laughs> all my all of my like car references are are based on what I know of cars from like the 1990s, the late 90s, early 2000s growing up in Cincinnati, which I have learned since is a terrible place to learn about cars because we don't have vehicle inspections in our state and so you cars are just garbage <laughs> cuz you don't have to get a new one. Basically as long as your car doesn't fall apart and kill somebody while you're driving, somebody else can kill you, no one cares. Um then you're fine. And so all my, my vehicle references are, are out of dated, but I, I think that kind of works. Anyway, um, Heart of Darkness is amazing. Um, it'll, be, it'll be really sad uh, and bleak, and you might want to bring some Listerine with you so you can wash your mouth out when you're done with it. But um, yeah, it's something you really have to read to just kind of understand where English as a language can be taken and like how much can really be done with it if you go in hard. And I think all of that is is really topped off by the fact that uh, Joseph Conrad was. Um, I'm sorry about that. I don't know if you noticed that the uh, that subtle growing roar that was accompanying my words has just has just disappeared. My um, my neighbor who who never never cuts their grass uh, has decided decided that uh, 7 p.m. on a Friday um, that's the moment to do it. Uh, <laughs> after after months of growth um i digress though uh the coolest thing about joseph conrad was that he was a uh an artistic primitive functionally speaking is i think what's that's what they called him but um he had no formal training or anything english was actually his second language uh he came from poland he was an immigrant and um and he, he accomplished something like fairly fairly incredible um and it's it's awesome. It's awesome that someone could do something like that. And I think that's a, the other reason I wanted to talk about Conrad for a little bit was just it kind of gives you hope. You know what I mean? That um, even if you're not one of these East Coast, West Coast types that grow up inside the industry knowing everything about it, which as a as a quick <laughs> as a quick aside. There is nothing fucking funnier to me than when people tell the story of how Joe Hill, who if you don't know is is actually Joe King, Stephen King's son, of how he uh, came into success in, in the publishing business and never told anyone that he was Stephen King's son. And, you know, he never really got a leg up. And it's like, are you are you fucking serious? <laughs> he studied at the knee of the fucking master of the form for his entire uh, his entire childhood 
uh, got all of the best education that a father with like a $500 million fortune can give. Um, knows all of the ins and outs of the industry from listening to his dad talk about it for forever. But he didn't tell everyone he was Stephen King's kid. So it's like he didn't have any any boosts at all. Oh my God, dude. Rich people are fucking awesome. They blow my mind sometimes. But um uh, anyway, don't let me don't let me don't let me uh ruin it with my my very obvious and vapid jealousies. Um, Joseph Conrad's great read heart of darkness. And, um, I believe, I believe that that is, that is it for us for the podcast. If you want to get a hold of me or you want to know anything more about the show, you want to tell me anything about myself and give me some feedback. Uh, you can send, you can send stuff to me directly. Westside fairy tales at gmail.com. That's my direct line for emails. You can also support us on Patreon. If you want to listen to episodes like this, and all kinds of other stuff early. And uh, if you want access to merch and even PDF copies of the stories or signed and printed copies of the story, uh, of the story, of the stories. Um, but in general, man, just get out there and, and, and find some good scary stuff and some good literature and tell the world about it. That's what I want to do with this podcast, this little sidecast, I guess you say, on the main feed. And um, I, I hope that you do too. Get a library card, support your local authors, buy books, share books, all that good stuff. Um, find me on Twitter. Find me on Instagram. Look at my pictures of my rabbits and tell me what you're reading. And until next time, as always, stay safe out there. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson... A young crime reporter from Charleston is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far 
far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast, due for release by Henlo Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.